Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Rowan, Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual. We'll be discussing the best of the action from an eventful opening weekend of Champions Cup Rugby. We'll also be looking at what's happening behind the scenes after Eddie Jones's sacking and we'll be having a chat with Exeter's Ollie Woodburn. So settle back, enjoy and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. I see TMO Goody was in action over the weekend for the football. Yeah, I don't want to talk about the football, Andy Rowe, but I'm back from holiday, guys. Been in Dubai. It is minus 10 degrees here in London. There's snow everywhere. I've been in 30 degrees heat. And I don't want to talk about the referee because he was absolutely shocking. Can't say that. Well, you can. Christoph Ridley said you can't say that. It affects everyone. It affects everyone, everything, every game, every sport, and anyone who wants to hold a whistle or blow a whistle or play with a whistle. Can't say that. Let's not talk about the football, hey, Andy Rowe. Just because New Zealand is shit. Let's not even go there. Do New Zealand even have a football team? We do. It's called the All Whites because we dress in white. Oh, my banter. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Are you, You're kidding me, right? They're not called the All Whites, or is that true? Yeah, that's true. That's what they're called. Oh, my banter. <laughs> that's the Kiwis for you, though, Jim. Sometimes we've made the World Cup once. Twice, actually. No, enough of that. Enough of that. Well, let's talk about it then, because I thought the referee in the England-France match had an absolute stinker. And to your point, Jim, Christoph Ridley tweeting about opinions on referees and what Gary Neville tweeted about, it was a joke. I disagree. You're paid to do a job. I think you're allowed to be critiqued because as a player, you get critiqued. You know, We speak on here about good players, bad players, issues on the field, mistakes made, brilliant play. Referees, there's a fine line, isn't there, between abusing a referee and critiquing him and saying he had a bad game or whatever. I'm not advocating anyone abusing a referee and Christoph Ridley's right. There should be no abuse from that perspective. But you're paid to do a job. Referees in any sport are integral to the game. You have to be able to critique them. They make mistakes. You have to be able to talk about it. You can't just be a protected species where you're not even allowed to mention the referee because it might hurt his feelings. And realistically, if you're not allowed to comment on players, if you're not allowed to comment on referees, if you're not allowed to comment on who runs the game or anything to do with the game, we wouldn't have this podcast, Jim. So you've got to be able to do it. Well, on that, it was the tweet that Gary Neville, who I've got a huge admiration for, I think he's brilliant at what he does, and this comes down to what you can and can't say in your tone, said that he was a joke. And then watching Christoph Ridley talk about that specifically because of the magnitude of the game and the magnitude of the profile and how that filters down amongst fans. I mean, 130,000 people liked it, which in the context of social media 
means millions of people have seen that tweet because I think there's a, an algorithm of what if 10% interact with it, then that's been a good post or whatever it is or something like that. So my point is a lot of people have seen that. A lot of people have interacted with that. And I do get Christoph Ridley's point. And if we delve a bit deeper into it, you look at what's happened with Razzy Erasmus and what he did. And actually, I've had a bit of time to sit on this and watching it unravel a little bit from Gary Neville's tweet and watching the football myself and can see it clearly as a casual football fan that the referee was absolutely shocking. He was a joke. It was embarrassing. All of these things in terms of if that's the level of referee, referee in a quarterfinal of a football World Cup with the amount of money and profile involved. And then this isn't to open Nigel Owens up at all, right? This is to question how fans, how people in the media interact with referees who make wrong decisions, which is generally the talking point of sport, right? I watched the UFC at the weekend. The big talking point of the UFC was the judges, how they scored one of the fights. Uh, Paddy Pimlet's fight, which was a high-profile one. The same's happened at the football. The talking point is around the referee. And the same has been recently in rugby. Now, this is my point and the question, I suppose. And I know the answer. It comes down to tone. Gary Neville tweets, the ref is a joke. Nigel Owens stands by his tractor critiquing the decisions that were made in a test match at the weekend. Obviously not this weekend, I'm talking historically. That's his job for World Rugby on a content basis, saying, no, that should have been a red card. Or no, that should have been a try. That try should not have stood. So he's critiquing the referees, even though he's an ex-referee, but doing it in a way in which it's not as damning, I suppose, or not as straight down the line by saying, the referee made the wrong decision, it's a joke, or Rassi Erasmus highlighting different clips but Nigel Owens is doing it, but there seems to be an acceptance around him doing it. So then it comes down to the tone, doesn't it? And the world that we live in. So I watched the Saracens Edinburgh game and not that I was going to tweet it, but we'll talk about it today. I thought Nika Amashakeli, the Georgian referee, oh, I thought he was poor. He's been poor all season. He was, he did the All Blacks Argentina game. He did, a, he's done a few international. Oh he, gosh. He did Japan All Blacks game. He's awful. Oh, I let it go Andy Rowe just because the Argentinians beat you. Yeah, you're not allowed to say that, but I'm stood by my tractor and I'm breaking down some of the decisions of the scrum and the scrum he was making wrong calls, which forced uh, Lewin De Bruyne to be substituted off after 30 minutes. So this is sport, right? This is everything. It's not just Gary Neville. It's not just Rassi Erasmus. It's not just Nigel Owen stood by his tractor. Everyone has a decision on the referees. That's what it is. It was glaringly obvious that it was a joke, but I'm Scottish. But I would have liked to have seen England go through. I did enjoy the football at the weekend, I'll be honest. And maybe that's why, Goody, everyone watching the football, maybe that's why there was no fans in the stadiums because everyone loves football like we do. Yeah, I'm with you, Jim. You've got to be able to critique a referee. And if Nigel Owen's is doing it and doing it in a way of stating that referees have made errors and this is why and this should have happened, then everyone should be allowed to do it on podcasts. Just don't get abusive. That's the difference. And this is the thing. When you talk about Razzie, what's Razzie done any differently to Nigel Owens? They're just basically pointing out errors. So don't you ever go after my friend Razzie Erasmus, James Hamilton. I won't. There's a fine line between abuse and critiquing something. And my old man taught me a saying once, opinions like arseholes, everyone's got one. And the only people's that actually matter, opinions that is, not arseholes, some are vetted, some aren't. Other people that you work with, your coaches, your peers, everyone's always going to have an opinion on you as a player, you as a referee. It's what naturally happens. You have to take it with a pinch of salt. Some opinions matter more than others, and obviously ours on this podcast matters more than anything. But as I said, opinions like arseholes, everyone's got one. Some are hairy, some aren't. 
just crack on. Just don't be abusive. Okay, Jim, well, tell us how your week's been, mate. Okay, I will. Uh, Christmas around the corner. I, t- I tell you what, lads, I am mad excited about next week. It's a Christmas party. And the funny thing is, Goody, now you don't need to give me your answer or tell me who you've got. So Andy Rowe rings me. He's like, right, Secret Santa, who you got? I said, Andy Rowe, it's fucking called Secret Santa for a reason. <laughs> There's only four of us buying. There's only four of us buying. That's it. It's me, you, Andy Rowe, producer Rob, and gorgeous Chris. And Andy Rowe doesn't matter. So there's effectively four. I know that's five, but that, that's four of us. So I'm looking forward to that. But in a bit of a predicament, Goody, you might be able to help me. And I think we think very differently on these things because of the way that your life is. You've got chefs, you've got nannies, you've got drivers, you've got bulletproof cars, you've got all of these things that I don't have that I'm on the what? journey of design. I know, I know, humble. Well, you're just adding stuff in there, but yeah, carry on. What, the, bu- the, the bulletproof bit? <laughs> <laughs> so Christmas around the corner, as we know, we sort of secret center, that's the main thing. But I'm at the point now with the kids and we've got four of them. Beck's got this thing where it's like, trying to consolidate and not have like a mad Christmas where you're wrapping up a pair of socks or you're wrapping up a Toblerone and you're wrapping up a Lynx Africa, like as in just wrap up a few things. So it's not absolute madness, but we're at a point now with JJ. He's 11, he's 12 in January. And what do you think he wants? Goody, what do you think he wants for Christmas? Uh, Is he a gamer? Has he got a... Yeah, he's a gamer. It's something he hasn't got yet that everyone's got. An iPad. I've got no idea, mate. What do 12 year old kids have these days? Mobile phones. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. too so young, he, too young, mate. He's too young. Nate, no, this is what I mean. No, because he's asking Santa. And now he's asking Santa, mate, at the age of 11, 12, even though his mates have told him Santa isn't real. You, you tell he him. He wants a mobile phone. You tell him Santa's not real, mate. Tell him Santa's not real at that age. No, if, I've said if you say that in our house, Santa ain't coming because, like, you'll ruin the spirit of Christmas. But the predicament is there's a lot of pressure now on kids and the mobile phone thing and from what i'm hearing i've spoken to rudolph the red-nosed reindeer and he might be getting jj a phone but the pressure is real mate and i don't really want to get him one because you mentioned screen time earlier about the amount of screen time that you've had it's, it becomes a big issue why can't he just want like a spider-man figure and a train set they're growing up i don't want to see them grow up yeah, it's, it's hard, isn't it? It is hard because there'll be other kids with mobile phones. All of them. And this is my big thing with social media as well. They're influenced massively. And it says you, when you sign up to an Instagram account or I presume Snapchat or all the other accounts, you have to be 18. But there's no actual checks, is there? So all the kids are on it and they're getting influenced from too young a age. Um, and it's hard for parents to make that decision, isn't it? Around when do you give in and let your kid have a mobile phone? If all these other mates have got them, you know, you don't want to ostracise him for not having one, but also you don't want to promote, yeah, hey, mate, get on your screen and get on any social media app because then they get influenced in other ways. So it's a difficult one, mate. Good luck, is all I'm saying. I had to tell him, I had to say, look, mate, it, there's a social influence in this and a social pressure. I said, you're talking to your dad who's six foot eight, six foot nine with heels. Everyone's wearing Nike Air Jordan Reebok pump at school and I've got hush puppies with fucking holes in the bottom. I said, do you think I'm really that bothered if you've got a mobile phone or not? But... As we know, the pressures. So I might just get him the Nokia snake phone. Do you think that'd be better or do you think they'll be taking the piss out of him? <laughs> little bricks. Go analog. There you go. Well, how good was a snake phone originally? The Nokia 8210 or whatever it was. But yeah. 33, 33, Oh, was that what it was? There we go. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard, isn't it? There's no right or wrong answer there. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Are you looking forward to Christmas party next week, Goody? I am. But it's interesting how that segued across to 
a bit of negativity around social media because you were buzzing about the, the Christmas party and then you're talking about JJ's phone and now we're we're down in the dumps around social media. So what is it? I'm, I can't wait for the Christmas party, lads. All right. Who's your secret Santa then? Tell us. <laughs> uh, James, it's secrets. <laughs> How low can we go with the presents as well, boys? That's what I, I want. Oh, to we can go low. I'm <laughs> go. Hey, I'm going low. It's expensive. It's 50 quid and I am going like... There's been a lot of thought into mine. There's a long rubber thing. No, you can't say that. There's a lot of thought gone into mine. I'm worried. I'm going to have to drive down from Edinburgh. I'm not going to be able to fly because they're going to be like, who is this weirdo with all this stuff in his bag? Well, someone that won't be taking part in the REFU secret Santa, Eddie Jones. He's gone, boys. Oh, oh why are you being horrible? He still might be, though. You don't know that he's not taking part in Secret Santa. That's horrible, mate. Nah, they've cut him. He's out of the WhatsApp group. There's no chance. Andy Rowe, you're horrible. Well, for our listeners, obviously, we recorded this podcast last Monday, and we had Mike Brown on. We discussed what everyone felt should happen, what everyone thought would happen, and it happened, didn't it? Eddie Jones got the boot on Tuesday morning. I was laying me sunbed in Dubai by the beach with the belly out, with a beer in my hand, and I don't know, I, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I think it's 18 months too late, and now I think it's, part of me is like, is it too close to the World Cup? Because Oh, Goody. Oh, gosh. Goody, you pushed him out. I didn't push him out. And listen, you know, it was, I've been one for holding him to account and everything like that. I'm not saying he should still be in the job. What I am saying is the RFU have talked about their succession planning and all this stuff, Wales sack Pivak the same day Eddie Jones gets sacked. They've got Gatland in before Pivak's even gone out the door. What are the RFU doing? They're still negotiating, trying to get Steve Borthwick out of a contract at Leicester and some of his coaches. And they talk about, we've had this succession plan, but we've just accelerated it. Well, I'm not too sure about the RFU's stance on it because I think there's a lot of mixed messages coming out of the RFU with what they've done. They've obviously gone to Leicester. I know there's negotiations going on trying to get Steve Borthwick out of the contract, but... As Jim Hamilton said last week, Bill Sweeney was told on TV that he's been sleeping for two years. Worcester and Wasps went bust, right? And now what you're trying to do is take your coaching team out of the champions. So Steve Borthwick, probably Kevin Simfield, potentially Alad Walters as well um, as part of his coaching group. Who knows who else is there? Richard Wigglesworth there. There's other coaches, Brett Deacon. He may want to take other coaches, including the ones I've spoken about, if that is the case. Now, you're looking at a club like Leicester who, let's not forget, they've lost two home games because Worcester and Wasps have gone bust. So that's a massive financial hit. And then you're taking out or trying to take out their coaching staff. What's the knock-on effect of that to Leicester? Well, a lot of disruption. You've got to find another coach mid-season who's going to take over. And then all of a sudden you're thinking, how much is that worth? So Leicester are probably digging their heels in for a, for a big financial package for it. And rightly so, because... Steve Borthwick is contracted, I believe, for another 18 months at the club. So when the RFU talk about their succession planning, they've had all these great brains of rugby discussing it and planning. A load of codswallop for me. They've kind of pushed Eddie Jones out the door off the back of results. They should have done that if they were going to do it 18 months ago. In reality, I wanted Razor. The RFU are going clearly going after Steve Borthwick. Is it much of the same? Yes. Eddie Jones was and is Steve Borthwick's mentor. He always has been. Are we just going to see the same kind of tactics and you know watching Leicester play they've been very successful last year winning the league but attacking rugby I, I did their game yesterday against Ospreys and apart from a, an absolute individual bit of brilliance by Anthony Watson it was a dour game so that's why I'm thinking Scotty Robertson but as we said last week the NZRFU probably aren't going to let him go so the, the succession planning of 
the RFU is to go after Steve Borthwick, which they were going to go after at the end of the season anyway. So it leaves Leicester in a hole mid-season. If he leaves, you've got to pay up, boys. It's going to cost a lot of money from the RFU to come to an agreement, and that's why it's taken so long. And in the interim, Richard Cockrell is the head of men's rugby, isn't he, James? I saw Cockers today, actually. He gave me a thumbs up. Weirdly, he had a hashtag always Edinburgh beanie on, which is a little bit controversial. As he didn't really. He didn't. But on that point, Goody, actually, I've changed my mind. I don't think Eddie should have gone there. Look at us flip-flopping. But <laughs> now he's gone. Now he's gone and you're watching everything else unravel. You're leaving the champions, like you've said, without a head coach, without Sir Kevin Sinfield, without their performance director, Alan Walters, who has clearly done big things there as well. So not only is that void left with the champions, they are a few. Bill Sweeney's been asleep for two years, and in that time, they've not made any money, yet they're talking of paying two hundred, five hundred thousand pounds is what I'm hearing Leicester want. Where are they going to get that money from? That money could be money that could have been put back into the game. You've paid Eddie Jones out as well. Where's the fucking money? Um, we're talking about a game that's on its knees, on its arse. He's been in a sleeping bag the whole time, so the timing <laughs> doesn't feel right. I listened to James Haskell's comments. He was absolutely fuming. He was spitting at the camera um, on Sky Sports. But he made a great point, a 90% win record at the World Cup. I'm not saying that Eddie Jones shouldn't have gone. I feel like he should have gone before. But also, they should have the right guy. They're panic. They're panic buying, which will be me on Christmas Eve buying Vex presents. They're panic buying a coach, Steve Borthwick, because that's who they thought they should have had two years ago in terms of the succession. And I agree with you. And I'm happy to say it, and I said it last week, and having sat on it and slept on it, not with Bill Sweeney, but I would sleep next to him uh, just to see what he smells like. And if he... He definitely snores. He's definitely got sleep apnea. I'm telling you now. He's got sleep apnea. Without doubt. He's been asleep for two years, you said. I know. I know he has, yeah. But he's definitely got sleep apnea. I could just tell by looking at him. Um, I don't want to be too horrible. Hashtag be kind and all that. We're only joking, um, Bill. But Steve Borthwick, it feels like, isn't the right man. It feels like he is the guy that was earmarked two years ago and they, they've gone with it. So if not him, then who? I suppose that is the question, isn't it? You've got Ronan O'Gara, we know. We're going over old ground here, but just for the listeners that didn't tune in last week, re-signed at La Rochelle. Rob Baxter signed at Exeter. You know, could they look at Mark McCall? Could they have done a U-turn on... Lancaster, no chance. <laughs> um, so there's not many out there, is there? If the, the if the New Zealand Rugby Union won't let Scotty Robertson go, maybe they shouldn't have got rid of Eddie Jones and they should have just taken him to the World Cup and then looked at the land there where clearly coaches would have got sacked if they hadn't got where they needed to get to. So Wayne Smith. All right, Andy Rowe. God, mate. I'm mates with Wayne Smith. He's about 105. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Wayne Smith would be brilliant in terms of his knowledge and what he's achieved. Coach at Northampton. Exactly. He knows the game inside out. But surely, is he not contracted to the NZRFU because he was the Blackferns coach? I don't know that he is. I know he was brought in to save the Blackferns and head up the attack on the World Cup. But oh. that was where it would finish. So I don't know that he is contracted anymore. Oh, what are you saying then? Well, what he's saying is is that he knows more about the Blackferns and Wayne Smith than he does about even who the England rugby captain is. <laughs> and the, Andy Rowe, here's one. Who's the Scotland rugby captain? Um, oh, God, he doesn't even know. It, it should be. So you know more about... It's that blindside flanker guy with the shit here. What's his name? Stuart Hodge. What's his name? Hamish Watson. Stuart no, Hodge. not Hamish. not Hamish Watson. No, Finn Russell. Oh, we'll give you some names. You even texted it to me the other day. Exactly, that's the issue, Andy Rowe, that you are all over New Zealand rugby and we love you for that sometimes. Shall I give you some clues? Shall I give you some clues? Go on. Poor. Lockstock. Poor. 
So he said lock stock. I'm giving you another clue. Poor. No. He's not poor. He's not poor. If he's not poor. Oh, Richie. Richie. What's his first Richie name? Richie what? How, Richie Mwanga. He just said it like Richie Mwanga. There you go. Richie McCall. <laughs> Richie McCall. Why are you confusing me? Uh, Richie Gray. Oh, Andy Rowe. Oh, Have a word no. with yourself. Go away. Mate, Richie. He was unbelievable at the weekend. He played unbelievable for hashtag always Edinburgh. Richie, can you give me another clue for the last name? I'll tell you, it's John. For the last name, here we go. He doesn't even know his last name is Richie. There's the, there's the clue. His first name's John Andy, bro. So put them together. What, John Richie? No. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. Just leave it at <laughs> no, that. <it's> not. <laughs> oh, why can't I think of his name? Bloody hell, he's good against the All Blacks too. What, yeah, what are your weird mates? It's got the same first name. Jamie Richie. There, there we go. go. I know there my Scottish go. rugby. I can't believe you doubted me. Just edit that, Rob, so it's like really tight. <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, there's, we've just found a new segment. Play Name, yes. name the Player with Andy Rowe because he hasn't got a scuba. Easy. There we go. We there found we go. it. Just organic. Just organic. This is how we roll here. Okay, so let's get into some Champions Cup. But before we get into the games, Ed Winchester has tweeted in to ask you guys what you think of the format. Oh. He's not a fan and wants it to revert back. Seems like we had a winning formula. Why change it? Well, Goody liked or likes the new formula. I am unsure. I'm unsure. I don't want to base it on the weekend because it wasn't great in terms of the games and the atmosphere and the energy and the lead up to it. I'm unsure. Andrew, do you want to give people the old and the new? Well, yeah. I mean, they've obviously expanded the competition now to 24 teams, right? People talk about the old version of the Champions Cup. There was loads of dead rubber games in it come January. So some of the French teams, like Cast, for example, would send the absolute shags. Not even the shags. They'd send the academy to some games and take 50, 60 points. And it skewed some of the pools. So they've done it this way. And we were chatting about it yesterday with BT. And last year was slightly different because they had the home and away legs for the last 16. But the knockout stages are incredibly exciting. So you go last 16, quarter, semi-final. And the crescendo of it, I thought was brilliant last year. I get people are not convinced by it at the minute because, and you're looking at the games at the weekend, obviously the South African teams are in the competition now and some people, including Anton Dupont, don't agree with it. Others do. The South African fans certainly didn't agree with it because they didn't go and watch it really. So it's it's kind of hard. I, they've shortened the group stages to get rid of dead rubber games effectively. So there's only four pool games, isn't there? And I think where people's confusion comes is around who's playing who, which pool people are in, and the seedings and everything like that. So I think as you get to round two, the beauty of it is you've got 12 teams in each pool and the top eight qualify. So even the likes of Ulster, who got smashed at the weekend, Munster, who lost at home, you lose a home game in the old format of the competition and you're pretty much out of the competition straight away. At least this way, it gives you incentive to continue on and, and qualify for the last 16 because there's more potential to qualify and that's what makes it exciting so uh, I don't know change brings out different people's opinions and the purists like the old way I quite enjoy the knockout stages of this because knockout rugby as we know brings the best out of and the worst out of people at times whereas group stages where you get six pool games and you get into January and there's a load of teams that aren't interested anymore because they've got no chance of qualifying I think it, it changes that emphasis so it's a hard one we are where we are and it's not going to go back to the old way. And, you know, some people are complaining about the South African teams being in there. We saw the Sharks beat Quinns. We saw the Bulls beat Leon. 
The Stormers probably should have won at Claremont and lost in the end. So it's a positive in terms of the quality that they're going to bring. I mean, I'd hate to be a coach of the South African teams. They've got the Curry Cup coming up as well now. So imagine that. They're playing URC, Curry Cup and European rugby. I don't know. The, the quality certainly will improve, especially at knockout stages. It just felt a bit... I don't know if it's because of the football and the World Cup being on at the same time. It just felt a bit... Stale is probably the wrong word, but it didn't. It wasn't as energised as you want it to be for a start of a competition at the weekend. I spoke to my mate about it on the phone because we love our ruggers. And I don't know whether I should name drop him. Do it. But his name rhymes... Slug, Ravo, Sam Raven. So he's the Gloucester team manager. As we know, they played Bordeaux at the weekend and managed to come through that game. And watching the game and looking at King's Home, a stadium which you'd normally think would have been packed to the rafters, having played at Gloucester against Toulouse Friday night under the lights. So a similar kind of scenario in terms of how big Bordeaux are now, how much better they are now as a, as a team. And where Gloucester are as a team, the exciting players they've got, I expected to see a sellout. Maybe because the football was on at the weekend as well, like we've kind of referenced, maybe the cost of living. But one thing that Ravo said to me, and Goody, Ravo, me, you are very similar. Into I say, I put Ravo in the bracket of played at Leicester, but he was at Leicester with John O. And back in the day, we were in the academy when you lads were smashing it and Leicester were winning it. We've got a relationship with the competition, which is unbelievable because of the hysteria and what it was like back then. And back then was Leicester, Munster, Toulouse, Wasps. Uh, and then I had a relationship with it at Saracens as well, which was amazing. So the way that we think about it is probably very different to how most people think about the Heineken Cup. And I think you put in the mix as well the format. I couldn't, if someone said to me, right, sit down and explain the format, off the top of my head, I couldn't do it. I'd have to have it written down and be like, right, well, this is how it works. This is what it looks like. This is the reasons why. Rugby's a difficult sport to consume anyway. So I wonder how many fans were at the games at the weekend would even know what they're going to know the two teams that are watching. If they were to lose a game, right, what happens now? Do we play them away from home? Like, I bet they wouldn't even know. Like, you're watching it, they wouldn't even know what the crack is. So I think it's just too confusing. That's exactly what Super Rugby did. Exactly the same thing. Yeah, exactly. And the URC as well. That's one of the bugbears that I've got around the URC because you can't really explain what's going on. You've got these micro pools within the tournament and then you throw into the mix. And it was interesting listening to Eben Etzebeth, the South African teams. These players playing for South Africa must be absolutely fucking bollocks, right? And you think about the travel as well, which people are saying don't really affect teams if you're traveling business class. I don't even know if they're traveling business class, but you've got these flights in between as well on some of them on six, seven day turnarounds. It's just all over the place at the minute. And then you throw into the mix the salary cap, the fact that if you're a premiership team and you look at Gloucester now, you've lost Fraser Balmain, your front line tight head for a number of weeks or months it probably looks like months you've lost Jack Singleton the week before horrible injury so you're down two players in your front row you just scrape through beating Bordeaux at home you look at your next fixture you're like oh god we've got Leinster away on a six-day turnaround basically Ireland right yeah you but you basically play in Ireland you're playing the best team in the world right as a coach when you look at it on paper we know that Leinster how well they played against Racing at the weekend like they absolutely smashed them Gloucester, sorry Ravo, sorry Luds, I put me, I put me ass on it right that they ain't beating Leinster on Friday. So as a coach, you kind of know that. If you're being realistic, you know that. So then this then comes down to the issue around the tournament. So they look at that, they'd be like, right, yeah, we ain't winning that. So do you put out your front line team? Because as a squad, 
you don't have the strength and depth that a Lens to do. So therefore, it comes back to something we spoke about weeks ago. You're devaluing the competition. If there's the level, if the playing field isn't the same, then this is a horrible thing to say. Then what's the point in having a competition? Maybe that's the romance around it, but the the the, the realism around it, being realistic and the commercial aspect of it. What's the point? Well, what is the point then? Well, this is it goes back to the whole chat that we had two or three years ago around the global season and trying to align everything. This competition has been going for t- over 20 odd years in different guises. Now, it's part of the European rugby season, whether you're a French team, an English team, a Scots team, an Irish team, a Welsh team. Not really the Scots because they're not really in it that often. I'm joking, Jim. I'm joking. But should have beaten Saracens at the weekend. They should. It wasn't for a Georgian rough. You were going for Saracens, mate. You were going for Saracens. We'll come to that later. But yeah, so what is the point? Well, it, it's a competition steeped in history. It's obviously financially viable. But again, everything that Jim said there, it is tough on teams like Gloucester. They beat Bordeaux. They're going to Leinster. And for the fans, they, you've got two teams that you're playing home and away against. So you look at the fixture list and you're seeing... A lot of it is done on the seedings from the year before. So Gloucester finished fifth in the league, I think. So they just missed the the top four. So their seeding, they come up against Leinster, who normally, you know, Leinster are had the seeding that they have because they weren't great in the URC last year. They didn't win it. They lost in the semi-finals. They didn't have the top seeding that they they normally have. You know, they gone to Racing, who are a big club, and absolutely spanked them. So it 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 is mindlessly difficult for some teams. And yes, it does devalue it. But imagine if it was a six-match pool, you're going to devalue even more fixtures by putting the shags out left, right and centre. So like Jim says, rugby's in a strange place, a tough spot. Financially, the money has come down for clubs in the UK and England and you've been asked to play tougher games a lot of the time, back-to-back weekends around internationals as well. And bring in the global season, Bill Beaumont. Just bring it in. Do something. You mentioned Leinster and how good the outsiders how impressive were they against Racing really hard to gauge because I thought Racing were absolutely poo <laughs> strong yeah yeah and someone called me out by saying they're not playing at the La France Arena they're not they weren't where were they playing La Havre James La Havre about 200 kilometers north on the coast someone at Racing's getting the sack because they booked another concert on a European weekend and it's one of them you know, they did it in the was it the quarterfinal last year when they lost. They couldn't play at their home stadium, so they've taken it to La Havre, and there was a few fair few fans there, but they got absolutely trounced by Leinster, who had a load of difficulty getting there anyway themselves. So Leinster were good. I thought Ring Rose was ridiculous. Van der Fleer, best player in the world again, he was outstanding. But Jim's right; it's hard to really judge Leinster on that because Racing were so bad. Finn played well. He did. I'm not just saying that. When he got opportunities took the ball to the line some great offloads put in some massive tackles as well but yeah I mean Racing to get 40 points put on you 42 points round it up to 50 in a competition which you're close to being favourites I'd say or you'd at least expect to see a Racing 92 in the semi-final Leinster were made to look like world beaters and they look like world beaters Goody were you commentating the Leicester game? Yes What were your thoughts? Sunday night down in Swansea that's commitment. That's commitment, Goody, to the cause. That's commitment to rugby, mate. You are welcome, BT Sport. Um, straight off the plane, straight down to Swansea, four hours on a train that was absolutely rammed in goad. It was cold. But again, and we spoke about Gloucester and what they're going to have to do. Leicester rested a hell of a lot of their internationals going into round one, Ospreys away. And on paper, before the game, you're looking at the Ospreys team, 
They've got all their internationals playing. So Alan Wynne Jones, Justin Tipperick, the whole front row was Thomas Francis. You know, he played. There was Jack Morgan in the back row. Outstanding. They had their gun 15 out for what they could put out, bar Gareth Anscombe. And Leicester rested. Freddie Stewart rested. Freddie Burns arrested Ben Youngs. They arrested Montoya. They arrested Tommy Raphael. A lot of their frontliners had a rest. And they sent a young team down with a, a sort of smattering of international class in Anthony Watson. And they got the job done. It was a dour game. Absolute class try from Anthony Watson stepping three or four guys. He showed his world-class abilities. But yeah, it was a kick fest. It was pretty dull. And I was quite happy to get a McDonald's on the way home. I asked Deeks about it. I said, Deeks, talk to me because I ain't got time to watch a game because I'm all rugbyed out. Uh, but I've watched the highlights. Give me a snapshot. And he just said, found a way to win without a set piece. He said, which is a big positive for them uh, because they're reliant so much on their set piece, everything that's good about them. So, that, I mean, actually in the grand context of things, and like Goody said, the team that the Ospreys put out, and the where Leicester have been and who they've got to come back. And the fact they've got Clement at home this week, which will be the big, big one in terms of the trajectory of the rest of the tournament for them. Uh, it's a big win, that. Jim, you were having a bit of a identity crisis over the weekend. Hashtag always Saracens. What, what was going on, mate? Edinburgh. Hashtag always. Who were you supporting? Who did you, you, you sat there with your TV on in your house in Edinburgh with your Saracens shirts probably on the wall, your Champions Cup medals, you put the picture out about product placement in the week around you being <laughs> centre of the Saracens picture. Who were you supporting? Shameless. Who were you supporting, well, James? It's that, that time of year again, Andrew, when the Champions Cup comes round, the pictures <laughs> do the rounds. Um, who was I supporting? Hand and heart. Who did I want to win? You can't even do it. I wanted Edinburgh to win. Did you? No, I could. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I was watching it. And the reason was because of the way that they played. So the way that they were playing, the energy that they played with, the fact that they were underdogs, the fact that people didn't really know the, the names of the players that were playing for hashtag always Edinburgh, apart from the headline ones like a Jamie Ritchie, for example, like the captain of Scotland. <laughs> I think I wanted Edinburgh to win. I thought Saracens would win, but Edinburgh, own worst enemies, really, that and the referee. Um, no, don't go there. You can't go after referees now, James. You can't say that. He made some big decisions at scrum time he made a big decision where Jamie Ritchie was on the ball and didn't give the turnover and Saracen scored the try that went on to win them the game but no very good I thought Edinburgh were exceptionally good at the breakdown uh, Stuart McAnally uh, Luke Crosby not many people would have How heard of him he? he's been very good for, mate, he's a very good player tall rangy similar to Jamie Ritchie who was very good Emiliano Buffelli kicking at goal was very good. The driving line-out, well, when they won the line-out, that was an issue, but the driving line-out, when that got going, uh, some of the calls I mentioned at scrum time were not the right decisions, so it kind of masked a few of the things that went on in the, in the game. But the headline one was, and people might have seen it do the rounds, was when Damien Hoyland took the intercept to Owen Farrell and looked set at 23 points to 19 to go over and changed the face of the game. You say look set, he was running in quicksand, wasn't he? Well, you say that, Elliot Daly's pretty quick. But yeah, <laughs> he, he did slow up. But the fact, look, as everyone's talking about Elliot Daly, everyone's talking about Owen Farrell holding up James Lang afterwards. And again, butchered. You look at the pit, you look at the, yeah, he butchered the try. The, the try was absolutely butchered. So like, we can blame the ref, we can blame the line out, but you talk about big moments, you're not going to get many opportunities at Saracens. And let's not forget, Edinburgh beat them last year. In the in the uh, I was going to say a horrible name in the Challenge Cup, they beat them last year in the Challenge Cup. So they've done it before. 
But that was the big moment. And you've got to look at that moment from the intercept pass of Damien Hoyland racing to the corner. Elliot Daly corner flags him to make him step back. But it's Jamie George and Riccioni, the tight head prop. Yeah, are good. Ridiculous. And then uh, Farrell is nowhere to be seen. So once he's thrown the intercept pass, you see on TV, he's just stood there. Like, oh my God, what's happened? Damien Hoyland surely scores, but it's actually him who raced back, pushes Mako Vunapola over. He tackled Mako, didn't he? <laughs> so funny. Get out fucking way, got to make tackle. I, I sent back, uh, I sent Mako the video, he just texted back just saying old with a shark emoji <laughs> in tears. I said, that happens to the best of us, mate. And then Owen Farrell holds up James Lang and managed to close out the game. Even when Edinburgh went down to 13 men, they still threw the kitchen sink at it. But for people who have not watched... Hashtag always Edinburgh. They were brilliant last year. They've been okay this year, they've, but when they've been good, they've been very good. They play a great brand of rugby. They've got some world-class players. Darcy Gray, one of the world-class players, isn't playing at the minute. He got a nasty injury last week against Munster. But as they say, one that got away, lost 30 points to 26. And on paper, Saracen's got a bonus point. So not hashtag always. It was hashtag Saracen's. I don't even know what their tagline is. Toulouse just edged the battle of the European heavyweights against Munster, didn't they? Didn't see it. Too foggy. It was foggy, wasn't it, Jim? Um, it, the power of the Toulouse pack was the difference, really, in Anton Dupont producing a bit of magic. How he's playing, he should be banned. I said it the other week, didn't I? He had his band cut for taking out Chesney Colby in the air. But he was class again. You know, Week in, week out, Anton Dupont is just ridiculous. But the power, Graham Rountree said it after the game, the driving mall was the issue for... Monster, they couldn't control Toulouse's power game in in that sense. And yeah, Toulouse were a top team. You, you look at some of the performances over the weekend, going away to Munster and winning in round one, it, even though Munster aren't hitting their straps yet. They beat Edinburgh last week and Jim called Graham O'Rountree by his Irish name, Graham O'Rountree. And you're thinking Munster, big European Cup, they, they find performances, don't they, in those competitions they're steeped in history of. So for Toulouse to go over there, it's a big victory for them. Sets them up nicely for the competition. Uh, Munster were licking their wounds. They got the losing bonus point with Jerry Carberry kicking a pretty simple penalty. But it was a tight battle. It always is between those teams. And, you know, Munster will regroup. They go to Northampton Saints this weekend, who got absolutely hosed in France. Unpredict. And they'll, yeah. they'll look for a victory there to, to sort of get their campaign back on track. Well, Saints weren't the only ones who got Humperdinck. Ulster, what happened to them? 39 zip at sale. I actually wrote down some notes of Ulster sale. Jim's notes? Yeah. Do you want to know? Well, let's start off with their their journey, James. Because half of them flew to Liverpool and half of them flew to Birmingham because their flight to Manchester got cancelled the night before. But they don't want to use that as an excuse because Leinster didn't either. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. That's someone asked me what it says. What does it say, James? Hosed. <laughs> That's it. Is that, is that, it? <laughs> that was it. Good analysis. I know. I was watching it. I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe make a few little notes about how... Ulster are going to be good line-out drive. Dwayne Vermeulen's playing. It would be interesting to see how Sale cope against a team in the URC who are quite physical and quite direct as well. But my goodness me. Monstered. I mean, they, they just got monstered, all facets of the game. Yeah. They just weren't in it from start to finish. And you can make excuses and say the travel, but you just saw Dan McFarland, and we know a lot about him. We've had a few Ulster lads on. I'm a huge fan of him. The psychology element to it. And yes, you can look at the travel and I've been there before where it's not been perfect. But the scoreline, not just 39 points that Sale scored, the fact that zero. Never been nilled. First time they've been nilled in the competition. There you go. 
Like, as in, that's how bad it was. The scoreline says it all, really. Uh, a real shame for Ulster. Uh, very good from Sale. Uh, Alex Anderson's got huge history in the competition, as we know. Uh, I love the look of Sale. I picked them for the top four in the Premiership this year. Uh, the South African influence of Dupree brothers that we keep talking about. Brilliant. Uh, Tom Curry, again, stand out. I say again, I've been a bit harsh on him saying that I think Ben was better, but he was brilliant at the weekend. Yeah. Very, very physical. Uh, made a great break as well. And yeah, Sale looked very good. Uh, again, you look at the fans in the stadium, you want to see a game like that sold out, but for obvious reasons... It wasn't. And, and looking at it, Jim, obviously they've got George Ford to come back in. They've got Rafi Quirk to come back in. So they will get better. But I'm hearing rumours that since Fafta Clerk's left and Luke Diaga, it's a happier camp now. That's what people are saying, right? Oh, goody. Ooh. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, it's just the rumours that have come out over the weekend. And they said, I think they said it on comms, didn't they? Around, they did, actually. Mm, yes. That it's a happier yeah. camp and... Stuff like that, which, you know, I love Fafta Clerk. He's, you know, he's been on our podcast. I've done a few bits with him pre-match for an england Safri game. He's a lovely bloke, but it seems a happier camp. Obviously settled under Alex Anderson. There's some big, powerful units. They absolutely blitzed them. And Stuart McCluskey, after the game, said, you know, what happened? You didn't score any points. He just went, I don't know. I just, I, I'm, he was gobsmacked, wasn't he? So yeah. they're going to be hoping, Ulster, and we're big fans of Ulster, they're going to be hoping that the fortress that has been the Kingspan, Ravenhill, call it whichever name you want to, they're going to need everything they get next week because they've got Larishel coming. Who, if you've got Monster by sale, you play Larishel next week, they're even bigger. All the best, boys. Big talking point from the weekend was the collision between Andrew Warwick and Manu Tuolagi. Manu Tuolagi runs Route One, literally makes a beeline for him. Poor Andrew Warwick, and I say poor because a lot of people think that he should have been red carded. I don't believe he should have. I think Matthew Raynal made the right decision, but Manu's face was fact. Yeah. And you just hope that it is just a superficial cut. No doubt about it, he had concussion, but you just hope it's not a broken cheekbone or a jaw or something like that. But that was a nasty collision. That was a talking point out of the game as well. But I think Matthew Raynal. A uh, friend of the show. No, he's not the friend of the show just yet. But he's he my might friend. Be now. Friend of Andrew. Yeah, I know. Friend of Andy Good. Friend of half the show. <laughs> um, made the right decision in what is a very topical thing at the minute. He, he could have given a red card for that and it would have made Ulster's day even worse. But I, I genuinely think and people won't like me saying it. He made the right call. Should we have a quick chat about Exeter's win at cast before we get Ollie on? Yeah, big win that was. A statement away from home in France. Cast a notoriously hard place to go in the early rounds of the Champions Cup. They're not in great form, Exeter, in the Premiership, but they did have a week off prior to the start of the Champions Cup. They lost to Newcastle a couple of weeks ago up in the Toon, which producer Rob will be delighted with still. They're still talking about it up there. Legendary performance by the Falcons. But I think they're going to get the European bit between their teeth. It's a Dave Ewers was massive for them. Sam Simmons, obviously going to France. He had a big performance as well. Obviously wanted to show... The cast boys, what he's going to be producing for Montpellier next year. I thought he was explosive. And first half, they gave a load of penalties away around the breakdown. And we might ask Ollie Woodburn about it because Rob Baxter apparently went mad at half time. Uh, but second half, they played really well and dominated. So they'll be chuffed with the victory. It's a tough place to go and get a bonus point win as well over there. So they've set themselves up nicely in the group stages now. Well, we can have a chat with one of Exeter's try scorers from the weekend, Chiefs Wing. Ollie Woodburn joins us. How are you, mate? Thanks for inviting me. It's great to have you, mate. Been watching you from afar for years. Firstly, I just want to ask, whereabouts are you recording this? Uh, I'm thinking you're at home. You've got your Gloucester uh, tactic board behind you. You love rugby that much. Nah, um, I was having some work done at home, so I thought I'd come pop into the club, use some free Wi-Fi. So uh, it was nice and quiet for this interview. So as much as uh, 
I'd like to think I'm a professional with <laughs> some tactics on the backboard. I'm actually at work at the moment. There we go. Tactics are everything these days, especially under Rob Baxter. Let's talk about the game at the weekend. Then, obviously, uh, a try for yourself. A great win over in Cast. It's a tough place to go in Europe. Sometimes that is, especially round one. How are the boys after the weekend? Was there a, a naked flight on the way home or a naked bus? Because you boys like to celebrate, don't you? I love going out in Europe because the clubs are open till like six a.m. <laughs> and we really, we really let them dry. It was uh, it was an awesome occasion. I think we just came off the back of some quite tough losses we had the kind of injection of our internationals back uh, we had a really good week running up to it where we kind of looked back at previous trips to Europe and how much fun we had and how important they are to the club how much fun you can have on those trips just together not even if you even if you win or lose just how much fun you can have traveling to France and uh, we made the most of it and um, lost some clothes and some dignity on the party and partying afterwards but Oli, it seems like a wicked club to be at, right? Loads of energy, loads of lads that have come through the system there, sprinkle of stardust, and then some South Africans just to add a little bit of physicality and weight to what you've already got. What's the lay of the land at Exeter at the minute? How are things? I know you, it feels like there's, there's a little bit of a transition phase that you're in at the minute, some of the players that are moving on and players that are leaving, uh, but the fact that Rob Baxter and the other coaches have carried on is a good thing. But what's the lay of the land at the club? What's it like at the minute? We've had a bit of a hangover from that kind of long period of success where we got to finals every every year for a few years. And now we're kind of in a position where the players who've got us there are kind of exceeding the expense to keep them. So they're, they've earned the right to good salaries elsewhere. So I don't know what's going to be over the next couple of years. But this year, like just seeing them come back into the squad and playing well, those players who are leaving, I think it's exciting. I'm hoping to be around for a bit longer and I've had some really good times and really good success here. So, And just on that, obviously, with the players that have been announced to leave, obviously Luke Karandicki and uh, Sam Simmons as well, there's rumours around Jack Knoll. Is there much banter flying around the changing room? Because from an outsider's point of view, every time we go to Exeter or watch you boys on TV, banter is... And, and that's it's a word just to chuck out there, but it's, it's central to what you boys do. You know, you're celebrating tries, you're rubbing each other in the face. It looks like you're having a great time day in, day out down there. Has much been flowing around with the boys lobbing Euros at each other or a few baguettes being chucked around? It was actually just great news for everyone because we, we all get a chance to get a bit of their... <laughs> <laughs> They've got about half the pack because of those two players. So, um, yeah, it's just... Uh, Consideration for the rest of the players now who get to uh, make a bit make a bit of a better living now they go. And on that, Ollie, and you might be able to answer this. You can straight bat me if you want. But there are rumours that you might be moving on. London Irish is being banded about. So this can work two ways. You can either say no, you can say yes, or you can say maybe and up your money at Exeter. Nothing said stone right now. Just really enjoying being at Exeter this season. Yes, <laughs> sure. Show me the money, Rob. <laughs> There's a straight back if you've ever seen one. Well, let's talk about Rob Baxter then. Obviously, Hoggy said at the weekend he gave you a bit of a rollicking at half-time. The performance obviously changed in that second half and you sort of cleaned up some of the penalties around the breakdown. But what is a Rob Baxter bollocking all, all about? Is he is he lobbing cups of tea? Is he a harsh taskmaster in that sense or is it very calm and collected? Because he loves a chat, doesn't he? He does. He's good with his words. He likes to control the room. Um, it's, not, it's not like overly emotional. It's not like his feelings. He's like annoyed, angry. He's just like, demands the quality he knows within us our attack our focus that week was the breakdown I think Cast had the most turnovers in the French league so our our approach to the game was don't let them get 
jackals don't them get turnovers and we gave loads of penalties in the first half so it was just like you guys know better what you're doing sort it out um no he doesn't get overly emotional he just you know just tells us to us tells us what we need to know pretty straight and what about expectations then ollie you mentioned that the amount of success that you've had it's a natural evolution for for teams to have ups and downs like sitting mid-table in the premiership at the minute and something we've discussed there seems to be a shift in terms of the emotion around the champions cup at the minute but what are the expectations for, for the extra fans listening to this internally about this tournament well gone are the days where we we just want to come to Europe and take part and have a scrappy game and maybe get a good win now and then. We want to win. We've won before. We've got a similar team to how, um, what we had when we did win. We've got the quality to win, so we're not going to come into a competition and see what happens. We uh, we want the trophy again. There's a statement. They want the trophy back. And obviously, it's a massive tournament with some big teams. And you, you're playing a, a big South African team this weekend. The ball's coming over. Uh, that's going to be a physical battle. What are you expecting from that? Yeah, I mean, training and playing with Yanis Kirsten and Jacques Vermeulen, <laughs> um, training with them isn't fun, so playing against 15 of them is, is uh, going to be a battle. So I'm looking forward to it. I've never never played against, uh, well, actually, I've played against Sales Sharks. So I've played against a team of full South Africa. So <laughs> I know what that's like. But um, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, it's going to be a good double header. Obviously, they're coming to us, and then we're going to South Africa. So. I mean, if, if, I'm on, if I'm in the team, that's going to be um, exciting. What are the lads saying, Ollie? then? What were they saying at six o'clock in the morning when you were walking back from the nightclub after the game about Eddie Jones? And I say that because I want to know in terms of how you feel about it, because I'm not just saying this because you're on here. You're a player that has ripped up the Premiership and Europe for years, and you've been one of those players. And there are a few that have been overlooked for whatever reason. So if you can give, let us know what the lads are saying at six o'clock in the morning when they've got no shirts on and no pants left because they've been ripped off. Were they saying anything or not? Well, we're not talking about Eddie at six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but we're talking about Eddie. There's much more fun things to talk about, um, especially in those French clubs. But Eddie Jones, me personally, I think it's all about timing. I don't disagree with the decision. Maybe last year or after the World Cup. I, I, I don't know, just based on his record in the World Cup. He has a good record in the World Cup. But I do think the England team just should be way better than they are. They should be feared and they're not. I think team, even speaking to guys like Hoggy, actually look forward to playing England because they play in a certain way. Uh, when England got the ball in the opposition's half, like Hoggy's expecting them to kick. Like he's, he's just in the back for a way for a kick. And if you've got players that England who they should be just pumping in tries and you shouldn't be like, waiting for them to give you the, the ball back. And yeah, I do feel like I'm one of those players who I could be here quite bitter about it, but I'm going to try and just be as plain and as possible. I just think they need to do better. I think it could be one of those decisions, like if you look at Quinns in 2021, where they just had, they, they lost um, a manager midway through the season and got to the, got to the Prem and won based on morale pretty much morale and talent that could happen for England I'd love to see that happen so I hope it goes that way I hope it isn't just one of those ones where they kind of stick with the same system they've got just with a different coach because that seems like well what's the point in getting really ready and then if they try and change everything and it doesn't work that would be quite sad to see but um, yeah I think it's all about timing 
You're right on that, 100%. And we'll see what happens with Steve Borthwick if he gets the job. Let's talk about Christmas then. Chiefs love a celebration. Tell me the Christmas party wasn't in the nightclub at 6am in France at the weekend. Do you have Christmas parties? You still allowed them down there? Yeah, we're allowed them. We're actually, I think that's one of the ones that, one of the things this season. We've always had good socials, but they've actually upped the amount of socials we've had. We're having them like monthly at the moment. This year, the Christmas social is probably going to be a bit tame because it's players and partners social. So... <laughs> Guys are going to have to be on their best behaviours. But Christmas is going to be fun this year. We've got a home game against Bath. Uh, I think that game always sells out. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited for that, one, for that one. Just going back to the Champions Cup, is it a bit? there's a lot of talk about salary cap, especially in the Premiership at the moment. Is there a feeling that the kind of Premiership clubs are a little bit, I don't know, disadvantaged because of the cap that some of those French teams are allowed to spend and you know, put a superstar lineup and get players from all over the world into their team. I think it's very hard for English English teams. We play a lot of play a lot of rugby in out out of Europe, so the Premiership's a very difficult uh, league to play in. And yeah, we I don't know. It's, it's hard to get around the fact that they can have more quality players in the squad compared to what we are, just based on salary. I think I don't know. I guess if we can if you can use it in the right way, use it as a chip on your shoulder. I think you can. Um, do well and English teams have done pretty well in Europe so it's we are closing the gap does it feel different this year Ollie and I say that because of this first round and you look at the stadiums some of them are half full some of them aren't even half full we don't know whether that's because of the football or cost of living or whatever what about as a player who's in the middle of it does it feel different to years gone by I, I think it was because of the football oh, we played during the game so I can't really say I'll probably wait a few more games to see how it pans out Saying that at Chiefs we haven't we haven't sold as many tickets at the ground as 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 we usually have in years past. Like I remember pre-COVID there were sellouts most weeks, bar a couple of Premiership games which were which weren't like uh, the big sellers. But this year's season I don't think we've had a sellout. We've got a new stand which hasn't been filled, so I think I think it, it has been affected. But let's let's see if uh, the Christmas games usually have some excitement and a lot of people coming to watch. So. Let's see how they go after that. Oli, do you have an opinion about the growth of the game? Because we're talking about football there loosely, and it's massive. It's absolutely huge all out throughout the world. Rugby's in a bit of a weird spot at the minute. As a guy that's carving up, scoring tries for fun, the glitz and the glamour of the great game that we love, do you have an opinion on the direction of the game, the growth of the game, what we, what they, what us should be doing? Yeah, I... Well, I look at the other football, I look at American football because that's, that's, that's what I watch most outside of rugby and that is just so profitable and the way they do it is so, so entertaining. Uh, what I love about American football is they have all their games on, on a Sunday and it's like an event. It's like a, like the whole country gets involved. Having that with rugby, I can imagine like having all the games on a Sunday and it would just be part of like, you have your Sunday roast, then you watch your team play. And that's one thing, one way of doing it. I know that NFL, they're ran as franchises. You know, I'm not too business savvy, but I just think just the way we've lost two clubs this year, I don't think that would have happened in the NFL. Like the NFL would have, like, as an umbrella, would have looked after the teams and made sure everyone was profitable um, and not just you know, let the things happen with what's and what's there. So I look at other sports and they just get it so right. It's such an entertainment. I've been to games... The half the halftime shows the kind of I'm I'm I love it when you boo a kicker like I just want I just want the the vibe at a game to just be um, up there with the American footballs the basketballs of uh, 
You mentioned just then about losing Wasps and Worcester, two clubs that have obviously gone to the wall. What's it like as a player when that kind of happens? Obviously, at Exeter, there's the, the chat around the hotel being sold and some land, etc., to keep the club going. Obviously, Tony Rose coming and, and done that. But from a player's perspective, are there, are there whispers in the changing rooms about the finances and what's happened with the other two clubs? We all know Exeter's pretty sound financially, and they did iron out any any rumours, any issues. Rob came and spoke to us and was like, look, we're fine, guys, because obviously there's you get any like sniff that we're going to go down as well it was just pretty gutting seeing those teams go we had some uh, we had a bit of a rivalry with wasps we had them in the final couple of times quarterfinal of the european cup it was pretty gutting to see them go and then from an individual point of view there's players who are negotiating contracts and you have like 150 players good quality players coming to the market and the salary cap's gone down it's uh, not a good layout so it's it's pretty brutal from just like a member of the sport and it's pretty brutal from a point of view where you've got to make a living. I think people forget that the, the market's now flooded and the obviously the salary cap's going down so it is tougher on the players and ultimately you want everyone to be in a position to be able to have a great career but also be successful and, and bank as much as you can because it's a short career, isn't it? It's also good to talk about it as well. Like the fact that, Ollie, you're playing at what's perceived as one of the most successful clubs a club that is a profitable club in terms of, I say profitable in terms of you've got no money problems, so profitable is probably the wrong word at the minute. And it is quite negative. It is a little bit doom and gloom in rugby at the minute. And I think if we shy away from that, then we're not telling the truth. Like we talk about it on here every week, the state of the game and the growth of the game and all these things that need to happen that don't seem to be happening. Let's try and finish on a positive. Are you positive about the future? And it is such a big thing, the fact that you're out of contract, you're trying to negotiate, look at another club. Are there any positives out there that you you can feel that you can see that are in the near distant future? Near distant future, what the hell is that? Uh, The near future. (laughs) (laughs) The near distance, halfway uh, saying that, not 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 saying I'm not positive about the future. I just this is I was sad about what happened to us and, and Worcester. Um, for from from a rugby point of view, the the sport is entertaining. You go to the games like the start of the Premiership. There's so many good quality games. I, I was involved in a couple where we lost at the last minute. We won won in the last minute. Like the the game, the product is good. I just think we need to find a way to to milk that entertainment and make sure it's going out going out to the masses and, and we we can get some of those fans who just watch the Six Nations to come back and watch the clubs. I think that's probably something to focus on. From my point of view, I'm very positive. I'm I'm really enjoying my rugby at the moment. Um kind of went through a bit of a, a, a dull stage just kind of pre and post COVID and then I feel like I'm really enjoying being on the pitch and um feel like I'm I'm doing well as a 31 year old ringer in a really tough market. I think I've I've done the best done the best I can and just uh just being grateful that I'm at a club where I can play at a top play at a top level. Have you Ollie, have you got a secret centre? Yeah, I've got one of the I've just got one like young Academy guys. I don't I need to do some digging on what he's what I need to get him. Like there's some been some pretty weird gifts over the year. I might just, just get him something completely random and nothing to do with it. Like what? Hit us with something. I mean, what generally gets bought? What kind of presents get bought for Secret Santa? Because we're, as a, the Rugby Pod, we're buying Secret Santa at the minute. So can you give us some ideas of what we could buy one another? Because a lot of the time you look for them long, big, rubbery things. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> Ian, Ian Wynn gets one of those every year. Um, Ian Wynn, yes. We've had hamsters, fish, a turkey, live. Not, a, ri- a live turkey? A live, a live turkey. 
Um, <laughs> oh God. Yeah, I don't think anything top that. So I think we've I think we've, we've been barred from getting um, live animals this year. I might go back to getting a long rubbery thing. <laughs> <laughs> Myself. For yeah. myself, oh, nice. Thank you very much for coming on the show, mate, and uh, best of luck leading into Christmas and beyond. Thank you. Yeah, guys, have a very Merry Christmas. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, Ollie. Cheers, Ollie. Good luck against the Bulls. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Top lad. Top lad. Yeah, he is. He is. I love the fact that he's just honest about being a nightclub till 6am. You don't get that out of a lot of rugby players these days, do you? But those extra boys, they have a drink. They like to give each other a bit of stick. The face rubbing. I mean, how are your eyes? Dave Ewers scores at the weekend and everyone's trying to slap him on the face. The last person I'd be slapping around the face is Dave Ewers. He's massive. He is. But more importantly, Ollie has given me some last minute ideas for you lads. Something long, rubbery and hard and something furry that's alive. A turkey. So a turkey with a thing. No, I'm not going to. I'm just thinking how I can travel down with that and that without anyone knowing. I'm going to have to put the <laughs> long, rubbery thing somewhere there where no one's going to see it but the turkey might feel or see it yeah I d anyway i need i'll work through this you bought a fish one year didn't you i bought a fish didn't you buy a f yeah you bought a fish for me one year didn't you no i bought you cat food oh i did buy you a fish yeah i bought you cat food and a fish yeah you're right you're right how weird is it now that you can't talk about buying live creatures for christmas even though we all eat a turkey but if you bring a live turkey that's going to get eaten the way that 2022 is that you can't do that but you could probably bring a can of cat food that's been made out of live animals, but probably not live animals. It's been made out of something that's not good for you. Anyway, I don't know where I'm going with it, but stick to the long rubbery thing. So we, what are you saying? We're not allowed to bring live animals to our Christmas party next week? No, you are. You have to. That is it. That's the rule. <laughs> there you go. There you go.
Someone's getting a goat. <laughs> Probably me. But it's going to be a symbol of my greatness that someone's going to bring a goat for me to br- bring back to Edinburgh for Christmas. Are you getting back, Jim? Well, if I've got the goat, I'll be walking, won't I? Because I ain't going in my car. <laughs> well, speaking of Christmas and gifts, if you're looking for that special gift for someone, give them the gift of the pod. We'll be in London and Edinburgh for the Six Nations. We're going to be at the O2 in London and Usher Hall in Edinburgh, both venues for the first time, with Mike Brown, John Barclay, and a few surprises. The best seats are selling fast, so just go to ticketech.co.uk and search the Rugby Pod to get your Christmas presents sorted. And on that, Goody, did you know that there's a function on there for a meet and greet, so people can pay more? And that, by the way, for the people listening, that function isn't me, Goody. Uh, Andy Rowe, they might want to meet you if they're super fans. But I was going to say, what am I going for? Mate, you have to buy your own ticket, Andy Rowe. No, I mean, what, what's my rate? What's my rate for the meet and greet? Well, exactly. We have This is what we need to work through because you, I don't know if your name's on the meet and greet, but you will be there because <laughs> you love it. But there's a meet and greet option on there, Goody. And someone came up to me and said, God, I'm not paying 30 quid to meet you and Goody. I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, there's a meet and greet thing on there. So for the super fans, I'm selling it in absolute storm here. There's a meet and greet option. Just click on that. If you don't like it, then your wife might want to meet and greet us before the rugby pod. But what I'm trying to say is we can't wait. Merry Christmas is what I'm saying. It will be good. Guys, have you seen David Campese's come out again and said that players don't look happy and we need more Maverick rugby players? Does rugby need to be more exciting, do you think? Maverick Campo, is it? David Campese. Campo. Campo. We spent some time with him in Hong Kong and I can tell you now, mate, he is not at all maverick i don't know where he gets off saying that but he does look good i've seen a picture online of him back in the day back in 1932 when he was playing that he looked a million dollars andrew put the names on back of shirts and that's happened that happened for a couple of games this is our time to influence james isn't it goody what else would you do honestly like we've asked ollie woodburn what he would do you must have sat on this i've sat on it and i've still not come up with any answers bill sweeney's been asleep for two years and he's been sat on it as well Simon Massey-Taylor, no one's heard of him. Like He's literally gone off the radar since two of his clubs have folded and he's just hoping that everything works itself out. He's nowhere to be seen. So if the people at the helm haven't got the answers, they're looking to the rugby pod to answer these questions, Goody. We've given one, names on the back of the shirt. Have we got any more? i tell you what, I like Ollie Woodburn's idea of having one day for rugby because then that way it takes out any other influence. So fucking rugby Wednesdays, eh? Let's do it on a Wednesday. Wednesdays are shit. <laughs> Middle of the week, eh? Let's do rugby on a Wednesday. Well, here's the thing for that. The problem is with that, Jim. In the summer. In the summer. <laughs> summer rugby. None of the corporates would come because they have work on a Thursday. Well, let's do Friday morning then. So when em- all the corporates are absolutely <laughs> Kids are at hanging. school. Kids are at school, mate. Very true. Very true. I don't know. It's, I mean... I understand people are going to come out with ideas and Ollie Woodburn's one. He's looking at the NFL. NFL in America, again, we're not comparing apples with apples here. It is the size of the country, the size of the following of the sport. We need, like Campo says, you need characters. So you look at Scotland. Finn Russell is a guy that everyone outside of Gregor Townsend looks at, loves, wants to watch play. Gregor Townsend says if he has three beers, he's not playing because he should have only had two. They're the values of rugby where people do get not pushed down, but just controlled a little bit. Now, players, I think, are at fault as well a little bit in terms of all of a sudden it's out there that we need characters. Well, a lot of players don't like doing media, don't like doing press, don't want to be... They're very different characters because they've been so protective, aren't they? In a changing room, I know players that I played with and against that were 
unbelievable characters in changing rooms. Yeah, you stick a microphone in front of them and they just reel off answers of, you know, we just got to get better next week and you're going to train hard this week. And that's not engagement, is it? So the answer is, Campo's right, we need to celebrate players more and build narratives and stories and exposure to all these players. The players have got to want to do it as well. And sometimes, you know, for the players, it's not necessarily about getting paid more. It's about growing your own brand. People used to rinse, and I go on about Haskell. James Haskell, he called himself Brand Haskell. And people used to rinse him for doing so much outside of rugby in terms of trying to grow his brand. People were sort of saying, just concentrate on the rugby. That's the main thing. Well, now it's kind of flipped. We've got all these rugby players that just concentrate on the rugby and we don't know enough stories around them. So you're not going to be able to grow those stories and engagement with fans enough to build the game. So it's difficult. You know, the TV revenue is what drives sport. Now, you look at football, you look at NFL, you look at absolutely everything. Every sport that are worldwide national national sports and worldwide sports, it's driven by the amount of TV revenue around the world because people want to watch it. Now, rugby's not played in that many countries. How do you grow the TV revenue? Get Jim Hamilton and Andy Good on there talking absolute garbage. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. It's tough, isn't it, Jim? What do you reckon? So everyone's talking about storytelling. Everyone's talking about content. Everyone's talking about access. You can't change a culture, right, which rugby is in. It's very old-fashioned. It's still in that way. Everyone's talking about World Rugby are talking about it. We've done it, right? I'm not saying look at us, look what we've done. We broke the mould seven years ago where we were talking about dicks, bushes, and who's shit and who's not and who's good. As in, like we did, and we took a huge risk doing it, right? And for us, it's paid off, and we've seen that because other people now doing podcasts, and the big thing about doing a podcast is access. I interviewed Sam Tompkins, the England Rugby League captain. He made a really good point. Because Rugby League have gone through a similar process, especially in England. The NRL is absolutely booming. He said, how good would it be if there was like an honesty question or three three questions that are asked and you've got to give your honest answer? So, for example, Steve Borthwick before Leicester play Ospreys. Steve... What do you make of the Ospreys? They're fucking shy. As in like, you know, <laughs> he comes out and he says it. And then the interaction that will get and the engagement that would get. <clears throat> so, for example, at the weekend, I'm trying to think of another one. Saracens play Edinburgh. Okay, so you interview a player before. Owen, what do you think of Blair Kinghorn playing at 10? He's fucking shy at me. Like, as in, uh, honesty, instead of just saying, right, I want to get better, they're a good team, have the confidence and the ability to say, right, if if Saracens are playing Zebra, for example, we're looking to put 50 points on this team at the weekend. We are that much better than this team. When Ireland play Georgia, Andy Farrell stands up and says, really, this should be 60, 70 points to us. As in build an engagement and build a confidence around what your team are doing. That's Sam Tompkins mentioned that, not them specifically. On the flip side of that, the topical things that we talk about. The referee is always topical. We're talking about it every week, but it's divisive. People don't like that. But that's how you grow the game. The high tackles, the red cards, topical things that engage people. Whether or not you like it, and I understand the reasons why it's dangerous to talk about these things. Big hits are now being chastised Andrew Good to use one of your words because of the collisions and the aspect of that and the head trauma which I understand but look at NFL you look at NFL people keep talking about NFL and I use the NFL analogy because it's a contact sport a dangerous sport but because also it's the biggest sport or one of the biggest sports the top three sports in the world commercially TV revenue you look at the concerts and stuff that are at halftime you look at the stars that are drawn to come and watch the games 
it's unbelievable. The content, that's one aspect of it. The number one thing to me, the number one thing to me, and I'm happy to say it, and probably now is a good time to say it, is not just access to players, but access to content. Me and Goody have spoken about doing alternate commentary where at the weekend, we're not getting used as much. I'm certainly not getting used as much to commentate on games at the weekend um, as I used to or as I feel I should do. So I'm looking, and me and Goody have been chatting about doing an alternative space where, like the rugby pod, we can watch a game at the weekend live and we've got access to the rights. I remember working at Rugby Pass, right? And we were talking about Six Nations games and we asked the Six Nations if we could have access to talk about the content showcase the content that we're talking about and publish it. They wanted something like fifteen, twenty thousand pounds for three minutes of content. That's not growing the game. Is it? That's not growing the game at all. So if everyone's working in different directions, then it's never going to work. It should be we here from the rugby pod want to grow the game of rugby. We're talking about the game of rugby. I think we should have free rights and free access to the content that we're talking about. So for example we're talking about the Manu Tuolangi collision at the weekend with Andrew Warwick, just to name one, or the Damien Hoyland intercept try. We should have the access to be able to overlay them piece of content that we're talking about for fans to come somewhere and engage in that. And we've had access through Premiership Rugby. They've been great. Are European rugby going to give us access to that content? If we talk about Scotland, England, when it comes to it, and say me and Goody aren't working them days and we want to live stream the game and people to watch us on YouTube talk about it, I can categorically tell you now, they won't give us that access. So there's a number of different things that are happening. I know we've gone a little bit deeper, but that's my big bugbear around rugby at the minute, is content sharing. UFC do it the very best, in my opinion. NFL, anyone, if you watch an NFL interview or you watch an NFL podcast, similar to what me, Goody, Andy Rowe do on here, they'll have access to content. Well, that they're talking about because the NFL know, the UFC know that by people talking about it and showing pieces of content will ultimately grow the product which we're all talking about and we all believe and we all watch and we all love. Here, here, James. Good stuff. Here, here. Here, here. Just put names. Hey, I tell you what, just put the fucking names on the back <laughs> of the shirts. <laughs> and stop sleeping. Should we finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly? Yeah, let's be positive because it's it's been tough, hasn't it? There's not a lot of positivity around rugby at the minute, but we're going to start off in France and La Rochelle get a mention the good this week they absolutely battered Saints 46-12 the champions starting off their new season in fine fettle staying in France Toulouse they got a powerful victory away at Munster dominating them in the set piece in the driving line out so big shout out to the Toulouse boys the Tigers Shags the Bin Juice the second team call them what you will they got a great win down at Ospreys. It wasn't a particularly great game, but they changed up a load of players, rested a load of their internationals and came away with a victory. And specifically, a mention goes to Anthony Watson for his worldie of a try. Uh, the Chiefs get a mention of the goo this week. 27-12 winners at Cast. We spoke to Hollywood Burn. They're in the nightclub till 6am. Say no more. There'd have been some decent stories out of that that he doesn't want to tell us, but uh, a good win over in France for the Chiefs. Leinster get a shout out in the goo. Some travel difficulties, but they spank Racing at La Havre. A very good start to their season, beating a team that has been a fairly big rival in knockout rugby for them previously. Uh, so a tidy win there. The Sharks and the Bulls get a mention. Their debut victories for the South African teams in the Champions Cup. Good to see my old team, the Sharks. Always got to mention an old team in the good, haven't I? So I'll get the Sharks in there this week. Saracens versus Edinburgh. I thought it was a great game. Decent contest, some real attacking rugby. Elliot Daly had a hell of a game as well. So shout out to him in the good. Gloucester get a mention in the good. 
this week, James. They don't win it. They came very close to winning it for their comeback victory over Bordeaux. A big performance. And the try by Charlie Chapman sealed their comeback. And what a cheer went round King's Home with that. Uh, but the good this week goes to Sail Sharks. They absolutely destroyed Ulster 39-0. Dominant performance by a load of their South Africans, a load of their English players. I thought Rob Dupree played exceptionally well at 10 and he's had some stick previously. Curry was great. They overpowered Ulster in every facet of the game. So the good this week goes to Sale. Here's one thing from the Sale game as well. Did you know that Aka van der Merwe is brother of Duan van der Merwe? Yeah, Little Anarjo. You've got one... Well, I never. What do they call him? The little warthog or something. And then you've got Mr... The Adonis. The Adonis, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not that he had his hands on, did he? Van der Merwe at the weekend. He kept dropping the eyeballs, didn't he? He did. He did. He was raging. But nonetheless, he's an absolute rake. Bad. Fair few bits of bad to get through. Saints, uh, they got mentioned the bad last week for their defence. Well, they're getting a mention again this week. They got absolutely hosed down in La Rochelle, conceding 46 points. They were 46-0 down after 50 minutes. Um, they got overpowered. And to be fair to Phil Dowson, he said in the week leading up to the game, Jim, he said, if we play to our potential, we're not scared of any team. I don't think he'd watch La Rochelle, really, had he? Well, clearly. <laughs> but I think he had. I don't want to be horrible. I think he had, but they got absolutely blown away. They did. They did. Uh, what else was bad? Racing get a mention in the bad this week. Woeful in Le Havre. Uh, they gave Leinster 71% territory. They conceded six tries. Who takes 40 at home in the first round of Europe when you're a big team like Racing? Not good from them. That's why they get a mention in the bad. The crowds get a mention in the bad this week. They were generally down across round one, and the South African fans weren't having it. There wasn't many of them watching some of the games either. So hopefully it was just because of the football. Maybe a little bit of cost of living crisis in there as well, but hopefully we'll see better crowds this weekend uh, in round two. But the bad, unfortunately, it's the opposite of the good. It has to go to Ulster this week. They started with some travel issues with half the squad flying to Liverpool and half to Birmingham after their flight to Manchester got cancelled on the Saturday night. It's the biggest defeat in the Champions Cup for 18 years and their first time they've ever been nilled in the competition. So a bad day at the office for Ulster. And it's only going to get harder for Ulster this week because they play La Rochelle. Hopefully the Kings banner will be rocking and they can get a victory. Uh, ugly, few bits of ugly to get through as well. Augustine Crivy starts off on Friday, shoulder to the head of Anthony Boutier. Uh, he got himself a red card. The Andrew Warwick tackle on Manu Tuolangi. People debating it left, right and centre. The ugly thing was Manu Tuolangi's face got opened up. But how hard's Manu Tuolangi? He's laughing on the sideline. His face is hanging off. He's been stitched up and he's got a lip bigger than my belly. Yet he's still laughing it away. How hard's Manu Tuolangi, Jim? Very. That's it. That's all you need, right? That is all you need. Nails. Uh, so Andrew Warwick, that collision gets mentioned in the ugly, not because it was an ugly tackle, it's just the whole thing was pretty ugly. But the ugly this week goes to Oxenche. Uh, he had a headshot on Jack Walker for the Sharks against Harlequins, upright in the tackle, red card, head to the face. Not a good look for rugby. So that's why Oxenche gets the ugly this week. Thanks, Goody. And you guys have got some shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, massive shout out to Wicklow RFC Women's AIL team in Ireland. Uh, they've gone from 240 unanswered points after four games last season to conference champions this season. So uh, a horrific last season, a brilliant this season. Well done to all the ladies at Wicklow RFC. Well done, ladies, for sure. I've got a big shout out to Liam Brown or Bruni Banter. He doesn't even say what his club is, but you'll know why I'm giving him a shout out because he's doing great things. So they're having a centenary Christmas dinner and an auction on the 17th of December, which is five days away from when we're recording. It's the first event to kick off their 100th year celebrations for 2023. And the reason I'm giving them a shout out is because of the auction. It's in support of My Name's Doddy Foundation, 
So hopefully they'll raise a load of money. So Liam Brown and whatever your club is, thank you very much. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Gertie. Thanks, Producer Rob. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Rippy Spot. Spotify, pod, 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 pod. Thank you.